That's good. So let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer and then uh, we'll begin. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much again for this time to get together. Lord, I pray that you would just bless um, the hearing of your word, the reading of your word, um, and your word being taught, Lord. We thank you for a weekend, an extra long weekend for most people, uh, for a little bit of relaxation. Lord, I pray that um, today is considered on Sunday as a day of rest as well. Um, and what a day it is to be able to come and together as believers and to hear your word preached and just to fellowship and just to, to encourage one another um, in our daily walk, Lord. And Lord, I pray that uh, you would just let this room be filled with your spirit. Help us to, uh, to do that um, with the sincerest of hearts, um, to lift one another up. And just to be, um, just to be brothers and sisters in Christ to one another. So, Lord, I pray that you would bless this time. Uh, we are so thankful that we have your word so readily at hand, and that uh, you have blessed us with uh, great teachers to be able to um, to bring it to to, the, to us. Lord, we just praise you and love you for all that you do in Christ. I pray. Amen. All right. So um, today we are going to be in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy. So we're almost done with the book. Um, it has been a, this is probably, I think it's the last time I am preaching through uh, in 2 Timothy Sunday School, so it's been a privilege and honor to be able to teach this to you guys. Um, I've really enjoyed it. Um, I hope you've learned as much as I have through it. Um, I really enjoy kind of sharing with Greg, too, back and forth, because um, as he's studying, I'm studying as you know, and you study, hopefully, that you see things that we don't see sometimes, or you points out things that um, just kind of like, ah, oh, I get it now, I, I saw that. And so um, that, that's the benefit of, of coming together and being able to, to hear God's words preached, but that's also the benefit of, uh, of, of a faithful congregation being in God's word. Today's lesson, uh, which I'll read in just a second, um, it's kind of a little different. It kind of goes back to when I was teaching in chapter 2, when Paul is really directing this at Timothy and he's directing this at preachers in particular. But that does not mean that the congregation, we as the, as the fellow congregation, cannot learn from this as well. And, to, um, and there's some really strong things in here for us to be able to hold our elders and teachers accountable. Um, so as we go through this, it will be directed more towards preaching, but yet it does go towards everyone and, and it speaks to everyone and applies to everyone. So let's read. It's going to be just the first four verses. Chapter 4, verse 1, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. It's funny, certain verses always stick out to me, and that one always, I can remember that verse because it tickles the ears, and I think that's one of the very common verse. I love when they use phrases like that because it does stick out. But I want to go back. The main verse, I'm just going to throw it out there in my outline. The main verse, the main point of this is verse 2, the first three words, preach the word. Everything goes around that. So that is what we are to do as preachers, this is what we are to do as believers. We are to preach the word. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptized in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? So you can't go and make disciples unless you preach the word to them. So that is our main goal. But why is it so important? So I want to bring some other scriptures in, I think, to make sure make this a point. And I'm going to start with Acts 6. 
Acts 6, of course, is the choosing of uh, the deacons that we use, uh, so we can use to show what the point of deacons. But it's very important. This is how important the word was to the disciples, and not only the disciples, but the congregation, right? And I'll start in James 1, verse 27, just because it gives us a little context. James 1, 27 says, Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. So we read that. So it says right there, what? Orphans and widows. We take care of them. That is pure and undefiled religion, right? So where does preach the word come to that? I think it's where Acts 6, 1 through 7, kind of helps us to understand the importance of this. So if you want to turn there, because it is a little bit of a longer passage. So Acts chapter 6, we'll just read 1 through 7. This is kind of my introduction without a secular introduction. I love using introductions from the actual word. So chapter 6, verse 1, says, Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews. Because their widows were being overlooked and the daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Now, he was not demeaning serving tables. He was not demeaning the task of taking the widows. But what he's doing right here is what? Making a point that the word is more important than anything. And they didn't want to neglect it. And he said, Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. This statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. The word of God kept on spreading. And the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. So we see from this passage how important the word of God is, right? The statement found approval with the whole congregation. So it wasn't just the disciples who stood around and said, hey, we need to prioritize the word over serving the widows and the orphans. The whole congregation was in on this, and they understand the importance of the word. And verse 7 makes that clear, right? Because the word of God kept going, kept on spreading, and the number of disciples continued to increase greatly. And I think it's even important in verse 7 at the end, it said, and the great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. The word is what changes people's lives. The word of God is what gets in our hearts, and God uses that to call us to himself. The word of God is the most important thing, and that's what Paul, again, is telling Timothy here, preach the word. So as we begin now, we come to this last chapter of Timothy. And again, these are the last words that Paul will ever pen. Paul knows that he's about to get taken off and beheaded. He knows he's going to be persecuted. But he knows also that the word of God needs to continue to spread. And we've talked about this many times. And so he's encouraging Timothy again for the one last time. He needs to urge on his protege and let him know that he's not answerable to anybody but God. Now, as we read through this section, I think it goes a little bit to say we need to go back a little bit more. Back to the last week when uh, Greg was teaching through verses 3, the, the Word of God, 16 through 17. And because I just want to make a point here, I think the, the first verse should be translated just a little bit different. In New King James it is. Um, it says, you know, it goes on in verse 16 of chapter 3. It says, all scriptures inspired by God 
and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And the New King James read, renders the first verse of verse 4, says, I solemnly charge you, therefore, in the presence of God and Christ Jesus. Therefore, therefore that the scriptures do all these things. Therefore that you have known the scriptures from childhood. I charge you with this. And this is his last charge. We've seen many times how he has to spur on his brother in Christ, his son, Timothy. This is a very powerful passage and statement to Timothy. He has just told him that all scriptures God breathed. He's told him that he's known it his whole life. He knows that the power comes from the scriptures and not from anything else. And now he's reminding him first that he is charged with the duty and the presence of God and Christ. Not only that, his charge is in light of the second coming of Christ and the future kingdom. Paul is also reminding him that he is the Jesus who is the judge of the living dead, living in the dead. So let's jump in. So the first point is Timothy's commission, right? So the overall point is preach the word, but now we have Timothy's commission. What is he commissioned to do? So again, again, we see emphatic command. I solemnly charge you. We went through this a few weeks ago, but that is a very immediate charge to Timothy. This is telling him that the time, there's no other time than this. You, gotta, you can't wait. You can't hold back. You can't be impatient. I mean, you can't be patient with this. This is immediate charge. This time, though, he says solemn charge in the presence of two people, right? But why does he have to do this? We've already been told in Timothy all through verse, chapter 1, verse 7, he tells him, don't be timid. Chapter eight, uh, 1, verse 8, he says, do not be ashamed. And then in chapter 2, verses 3, he says, you need to suffer hardship with me, right? So Paul already knows the timidity that Timothy has a little bit with preaching the word. He's young, remember, he's probably in his mid-30s. He's got some um, elders there, and he's got some uh, false teachers already coming up in Ephesus. And so Paul has to encourage him to do this. And so this is a strong, strong command. This is the last command, right? That he does to this. And this, so this is a very strong command from, from him. And this time, and unlike in chapter 2, this, when he solemnly charged Timothy to, he was solemnly charging the people and not Timothy. Here he is uh, solemnly charging Timothy to do this. And he's doing it in the presence of two people this time and not just God, which is pretty powerful. Right? So he's looking at them and he's saying, hey, I'm charging you in front of God and Christ Jesus, two, two witnesses. If you know anything about Jewish law back in um, back in their time um, you, you had to have at least two witnesses to bring some, an accusation against somebody right um, unlike today you can bring an accusation against somebody however you want to one-on-one um, I kind of use an example like this it's like if your boss tells you in private uh, to do something important says your boss tells you to go and do this report for me right away but you know you decide since no one's around you don't really have to do it right have you ever been like that remember you can use the example of parents and kids if you tell your things. Because it's just your word against theirs, right? Especially when it comes in that situation. But if your boss gives you the directive in front of his boss and maybe the CEO, then you know how important the matter is. And that it needs to get done immediately. And it needs to get done to the best of your ability, right? I don't know if anybody's been in that situation. But when you're brought before two or three people, it's more important to do it. Now, Again, we see the two witnesses here, which is God, the presence of God, and the presence of Jesus. 
who is the judge of the living and the, of the living and the dead. So my next point is Jesus is the judge. He's the second one. We went through with God being the presence of God, which should make you tremble always. But the Jesus is the judge. We see in five, John five twenty two, for not even the Father judges anyone, but He has given all judgment to the Son. So let me ask some open question time. So when we think of this currently in our in our time. What is it like to, well, maybe hopefully nobody's been before a judge, so I don't ask that. <laughs> Has anybody had to do jury duty? Okay, so I've not, I've not done jury duty, and I've never been to court. Okay, so <laughs> I'll that out there. I've only seen TV shows. So what is it like, what is court like, what's the judge like in a courtroom when, on, that you've served in? Okay, ultimate authority, right? Who is subjective to that judge in that courtroom? Yeah, everybody. Has anybody seen anything crazy happen? I just put it out there. No? I want to see if anything crazy happened. But yeah, so that's perfect. So the judge in the courtroom is, can hold you, like a jury member, he can hold you in contempt. He can hold the lawyers in contempt. He is in control of everything. They do the sentencing. But when we think about the judge in, in our courts, and we think about ultimate judge of Jesus Christ, can you think of a difference between those two judges? What's played out in our courtrooms? Who's all in there? You have the judge, you have what? You were sitting on the jury, and you have what else? The uh, defendant, the prosecutors, their lawyers, right? Everybody in there, right? When we go for the great Bema seat, when we go before Christ, is there any of that? Right? Nah, there you go. Did you read my notes, honey? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> right, there's no jury. There's no lawyer. There's no one to sit there and give an offense, a, a, you know, a, a accusation against somebody, and bring up all the evidence to what those that person has done through their whole life. There's no defender there that's going to say no and rebuttal that and over, do whatever they do to try to convince the judge that their person is not guilty. There's none of that. And then we don't. Jesus doesn't need any of that, right? He is the ultimate judge. He knows everything. He knows everything about our lives, what we've done in the darkest places, and what we've done in the light for Him. And we will be judged before that. And that's what Paul is reminding Timothy of. Like, it's not just that I'm telling you to do this because we love people and we want them to come to Christ. It's because you're going to be judged for what you've been told to do by God. You're going to be judged by Jesus for the good things that you do and for the bad things that you do. You're going to be judged for how you handle his word. You're going to be judged on how you handle the people that you preach to. Right? That's huge. We know James tells us that... Anyone desires to be a teacher needs to take that very, very strictly, very, very seriously, because you'll be judged harder, harsher than anyone else. And so he's reminding him of this, and he's reminding him that he is before the ultimate judge, right? But he also goes on to say, judge you in the presence of Christ, who is the judge of the living and the dead. Remember, it's not every, nobody gets away from Jesus. We're all going to be judged. We also, as, as believers, though, we will be judged um, in a different way. It's not going to be a condemnation. It's going to be more like an examination of your life. As for those who um, rejected Christ, will be judged to eternal hell, right? Where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So we need to take this seriously. Even though we do have, we will receive crowns and we will receive rewards for what we do, we are still called to do it in the way that he has called us to do it. And that's to do it with all our hearts and all our souls and our mind and to love him as much as we can. And he says right here, he says, and God Jesus, who has judged the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. So Timothy's commission is not only before Jesus the judge, it's also in view of the future outlook, right? 
Now, we can look at this in two different ways. You can look at this by his appearing in his kingdom is that when his appearing in his kingdom comes, guess what? That's when the judgment comes, right? So when Jesus comes back at his second coming and he, and he comes back to set up his kingdom, that's when the great beam of seat will happen, right? So we will be judged at that time. So he has that virtue outlook. But also what do we have at that time? It's a blessing, right? We get to see the second coming of Christ. I mean, Paul talked about that tons is to, to be on the lookout, to be praying for the return of Christ. It could happen at any moment, and he knew that. And so he is loving on his protege and his son in the faith to remind him who the ultimate judge is, but also remind him that Jesus is coming back, and his kingdom will be set up, and he is accountable for what God has put him over. So he is over the church of Ephesus, and he is to carry the word out. He is to fight against the false teachers. He is to fight, to fight against those who will um, mis- try to mislead those who are in his congregation. And he will be judged for that. So when we think about our lives, do we, does that ever come in your mind? Do you ever think during the day, man, I'm going to be judged for the things that I do and don't do before God? You know, as I said, this is for pastors strictly but as i think we can all learn from that right because we are all called to go forth and preach the word right we are all called to go forth and share the word with god so keep that in mind as, as you go through your day and it's a lot i know it, the, the the christian faith is is not not necessarily the easiest at all times there's so many commands and stuff that we're trying to do um and these are just a little bit of the few that we need to understand and but i think when we have that recognition of Christ coming back in his kingdom. That's our ultimate goal. And what we were put here on earth to do, and that's to glorify our Father in heaven. And I think that should be a blessing, not a, not a time for uh, being scared or fearful, really. It should have a, a holy fear that we should set in our hearts, that we can uh, love him and do his bidding and do what he has called us to do. So that's Timothy's future outlook. So that's commissions based on the future outlook. And then we get to verse 2. I mean, I'm sorry, and, uh, yeah, verse 2, the main core of this, preach the word. This is my next heading, preach the word. So preach the word means to be faithful with all that it contains, to be a herald for God. Preaching means to proclaim publicly and loudly. I think I talked about this one time uh, when we talked about preacher, but preacher reminds me of, it's, you know, when you have the, the king coming out in the old days, and you had the guy that would go before him and say, oh, hell, the king, I'll bow down, here it comes. That's the herald, right? That's the heralding, the coming of the king. Um, we see that when Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, and they, they are, they're screaming out, king, king De- you know, uh, Jesus, king of the Jews, and they're laying down the palm trees. They're held in his interest as he came in on the donkey, right? So that's what they, this is doing, and we we're supposed to be doing the same thing, loudly proclaiming Christ. Can you think of any other preacher's through scripture that were brave and did not hold back and proclaim something that was really hard in their day to do. They might come to mind, the Old Testament and New Testament. Josiah, yeah. Jeremiah, the prophets, yeah. Who else? John the Baptist, yeah. Bold, brave, proclaim it loudly. Who else? Stephen, yeah. I go back to Noah, right? I mean, Noah, how long did he preach? 100 years as he's building the ark? More? And nobody came to, I mean, only him and his family were the ones that were saved. I mean, imagine the bravery that took to every day preach 
Come and Savior, the, the God, to preach about God, and nobody listened to you, right? And I think when we get on it, when it says to endure, I think we understand what that means a little bit more from those passages. But yeah, so all those ones I listened. We can't forget, of course, um, I, I like to throw Jonah in there, too. Jonah was brave in a way. He didn't really want to go, but he couldn't do, he could not do what God wanted to do, right? And eventually, God guided him where he was going to go, and God rescued and, and saved those people because of the word, right? So I, I think of Jonah sometimes that. And of course, when we look at the New Testament, we have Paul and the bravery of Paul to preach the word loudly. Wherever he went, um, he was just a man for God, heralding it. So when we talk about preaching the word, what does this necessarily mean? So I've got a few things, and then I want to uh, open up just a little bit if it means anything else to other people. But preach the word to me means, for one thing, you preach it because it's God's word. We just went back to that, right? Chapter 3, verses 16. All scripture is inspired by God and profit for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Right? Second Peter tells us that no message all came from God, the Holy Spirit who moved the prophets. Right? So the writers of the scriptures. So all scripture is from God. So that's one reason. That's the main reason why we need to preach the word and why we need to teach the word is because it is the word of God. What else does it mean? It means that we need to make sure that we stay within the word of God. Right? We, do not go, we don't need to go outside of it. We don't need to be teaching myths and stories, right? Um, we know of, I know, um, I was telling Greg the other day, I was up at uh, one of my doctors that I call on, and uh, he, had, he had gotten an old Bible from a yard sale or something like that. It was pretty cool to look at. And as I was flipping through, it had the, I'm going to mess up the name because I always do, Apocryph- Apocryphil, the seven books that, so it was obviously a Catholic Bible and it had the other seven things, books in there. I've never seen that before. And so I was just trying to read through it a little bit. And, of course, it was old, the English, the old English and stuff. But it was, it was so, it, just the few things I even read in it were so outside of what Scripture was. I'm like, how in the world do you even have any, these in there, right? But that's what they go off. They go off myths. They go off legends. They go off traditions. We're not supposed to go out there. We're not supposed to go outside the Word of God. Preach the Word. It doesn't say preach the Word and. It says preach the Word, right? I think another thing it means to preach the Word is we need to not neglect to teach the hard sayings in Scripture. I don't know if anybody has been a part of a church that where the pastor skips over certain verses. I've been there. Yeah, it's very interesting when you're reading along and then they start teaching. And you're like, wait, wait, hold on. What, what about this verse? What is it? Why did you skip over that? Because you don't want to upset the congregation. Because you don't want to, you don't really done, you haven't done your time to come to an understanding and you're studying to understanding what that means. Preaching the word is not leaving things out of the word. Preaching the word means to preach all that is in there. The hard sayings, the easy sayings, which there are very few easy sayings, but even the Old Testament, right? We're supposed to preach through the Old Testament. The Old Testament sometimes is not easy to understand. The Psalms are not easy to understand. The Proverbs sometimes are not easy to understand. But that doesn't mean we leave it aside. That doesn't mean we, we throw it to the side and we just stick to the easy things that we know. We need to teach the hard sayings of Scripture. Second Peter 3.16 says, Is also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the scripture, to their own destruction. Right? So he's telling us there, so there's going to be some hard things. But if you don't teach them correctly, if they're untaught, they're going to distort them, and they're going to make it go to their own destruction. Right? So we need to teach the hard sayings in scripture. We also need to preach the word because it's what we need. It's all we have. It contains all we need to live in this life. There may not be specific instances that come in your, our lives now because times have changed a little bit. But the principles, 
line up. You can find answers in this to any circumstance you have in your life. And if you can't, that's because you don't want to. Because you don't want to understand what it says. Right? We get questions all the time about, well, the Bible doesn't say anything about this. The Bible doesn't, yeah, it does. It may not specifically list out that one thing, but it says plenty about it. You know, one, th- one thing I always get sometimes is about smoking marijuana. Right? The Bible doesn't say you can't smoke marijuana. Well, no, but it says do not distort your mind. Right? Do not go off into to, to control your mind and be sober-minded and all that stuff. And if you do that, I don't know if you can be sober-minded. I've never done it, so I don't know um, if that's the case. But that's just an example of what some people try to throw out, right? And that's just one little example, but there's plenty that people try to throw out there. Second Peter 1.3 says, Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Another reason why we need to preach the word is truly because of that saying right there. It is the only true knowledge. There is no other wisdom outside the word of God. It is all found in his word. It is the only wisdom we need. Worldly wisdom, man's wisdom is nothing. We need to make sure that we are preaching the word of God. Can you guys think of any other things I may have missed while we should preach the word of God? I'm sorry. There you go. Christ commands us to. Yeah. What else? So how does this relate? So we're talking about preachers, right? Preach the word, right? Just say all these things. How does as a congregation, how are we to take these verses to? When we have our elders and stuff, what are we supposed to do for them and with them? To help them and maybe to... Um, to support them in ways. Yeah, Dennis. Yeah, look forward to hearing it and expect to hear the word teach, yeah. What else? Yeah, yes. Yeah. Yeah, so to encourage them and also point out other verses and stuff that help walk through there so you know that they know that you're listening and paying attention and trying to work things out, yeah. Yeah, Matt.
Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's perfect. I can hit on some stuff I'm going to hit on later too with that. But yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So those are all great things. I think we need to do that. I, think, I do think that sometimes we, um, it, it, we don't realize what our elders go through, what they labor through during the week. Um, and just the, that constant meeting with people and doing the things they do. So yeah, those are all great things. I, and I would encourage you too that um, we're to hold them accountable too, right? Right? We're supposed to hold accountable to the things... That, sorry, my iPad went off and can't find the button. Um, we're supposed to hold them accountable to the to the truths of Scripture, right? Call them out, or not call them out, but to ask them, question them on stuff that we don't see it as right, or encourage them in their lives to make sure that their family lives are going well, that uh, their their kids are, of course, some all kids are gone, but some still have kids, that their kids are doing well and their family lives are doing well. Um, and it's just encouragement to them. Instead of always, maybe as a congregation, feeding off of, of them that we come by, come beside them right and I think that's what we truly can do as as believers um, sorry so yeah so awesome thank you guys for that so now he comes through the next part and I think as we as he transitions he's you know preach the word because it is the word of God you know and when it comes to that it's interesting all the statements about courage and stuff the next statement pretty comes just Paul of course it's God's writing and when it comes to preaching the word there is no time off Right, And so he goes on and says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. So um, I think Paul, we know Paul uses a lot of analogies with sports, right? And I, I kind of tend to too. I played basketball and I still like sports. And so I think, I think about this when I, was, when I listened to certain things. But re- be ready in season and out of season. So when you think of an athlete, and I think things have definitely changed over the years. Um, you've heard tons of stories about like older athletes when they would, during the season, they're all in shape, they're sticking to their diets, they're working out, and they're playing, and then all season comes, and they kind of just let it go, and then they got to get it back when it's kind of time to come for season to play again. And I've heard many athletes say that over the years, they've realized if I could just, if I just stay in shape, and I just stayed conditioning, and I stayed doing my workouts, and I stayed training, that when season comes around to play, 
it's a lot easier and I'm ready to go, right? I, th- I feel like uh, I like to work out and stuff and I, I think of that all the time. And I, one workout I hate is squats. I hate squatting. I'm just not that flexible and stuff on it, but it's one, everything you read says it's one of the best full body, one of the best workouts. Who ever squatted in here before? Anything, right? Take a couple weeks off, you go squat again. What's the next day like? can't even walk, right? You can't walk your muscles in, but if you keep doing it every week, you don't go through those phases anymore, right? You're ready. And so it's, it's kind of, I kind of think of it like that, to always continue to be doing the things you're supposed to be doing so that you're ready, right? Um, preachers are called to be ready at all times. So how do we expect our elders and our pe- preachers to be ready these days when we think about that, or even you guys that teach all the time? You know, how, are you, how do you stay ready? Constantly stay in the word, yeah. Yeah. Heard somebody over here. Keep doing it, yeah. Yeah, exercising the mind, yeah. Yeah. That's perfect. Yeah, and, and I'll encourage and boast Greg and Brian. I know when I ask them questions, and, and Philip, when I ask them questions, you know it's not that they just have been studying what they are teaching that week either. They've been, they're all constantly in the Word, and they can bring other Scripture up to bear on the thing that you asked them the question on, which shows you that they're staying in the Word. Yeah, I always use this analogy, too. I, I was listening to a radio show a few years ago, and, uh, and it was a talk show, and a guy called in, and they were talking a little bit, and the guy... He, he asked him what he did, the caller, and the caller's like, well, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a pastor. And the guy said, oh, what, what are you teaching on this Sunday? He's like, well, I don't know yet. It's Friday. He's like, I don't know yet. The Spirit hadn't told me. It's like, oh, man, it's horrible, right? So is that pastor ready in season, out season? No. He doesn't even know what he's teaching on, on on that Wednesday. So, yeah. So need to be in the Word constantly. Need to be doing your own studying. You know, it, it's interesting, even when coming to this, um, when, I, when I prepare this, my own quiet time is different than my studying for uh, preparing a lesson, right? And it's interesting what you can pull out of the stuff when you're doing your quiet time. It's like, wait a minute, this applies to what I'm teaching, and I can I can pull both back and forth. So it's kind of nice how to how that works. So yeah, so we're called to be ready. Preachers are called to be ready at all times, not just when it's convenient or not when it's a planned time. It's for all times, and uh, I, I think this can apply to all of us as well, right? So it says in First Peter three fifteen, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Right? So again, pastors are called to be ready all the time, but again, the scripture is clear that we, all believers, need to be ready to be able to get in the defense. We need to be studying in the scriptures. We need to be in the word. We need to be ready in season and out of season. Ready at all time. 
And then he says, why? Be ready in season and out of season. Repuve, repuve, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. This is simply the doctrine, right? We are teaching the doctrine to people. And I think that's why he clearly says this right after be ready in season and out of season. Because if you're not ready and you're not studied up, how are you going to reprove somebody? How are you going to rebuke them? How are you going to encourage them? And that's what he's talking about here. The teachings that come from Scripture allow you to do all these things. Remember back in verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 16, all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, right? So when we look at two, the two words here, reprove and reproof, we kind of see them as similar words, but I do think they are different. Um, reprove has more to do with the mindset of the individual. So it's more the mind, right? Um, it can also be translated as convince. So it's the preacher's responsibility to show from scriptures the error of our ways, right? This doesn't mean just pointing out certain sins. It's teaching you and us what the Bible says about particular issues. What is sin and what is not sin, right? It's a mind change, right? Because I can go to anybody I want to and say, hey, what you're doing is a sin. And they can look at me and say, no, it's not, right? But if I can show them from scripture what scripture says about that as being sin, and that can ch- that's going to change their mind, not me saying something. The word of God is going to change their mind. That's the mindset. That's not them necessarily repenting and, and changing their ways. That's just them coming to an understanding that Scripture says that this is a sin and that it, needs, that it does need to be changed. And then it comes to, um, when you come to the reproof, that comes to the rebuke. The rebuke is the changing from the sin, right? So first got to convince you that you're a sinner, right? That's the, kind of the first thing. Second is I can convince you the sins that you are doing. And then I've got to show you how to repent from those sins. And I've got to call you out on those sins. Once you accept and tell me that you agree with me <clears throat> that certain things are sins from the word of God, then it's my job to call you out on those and to rebuke you and to get you to do a 180. So reprove is more of the mindset. Rebuke is the actual dealing with the person's sin and getting them to do a 180 in their heart to change from that sin, to repent and turn away from their sins. And this all, again, comes from the scriptures, right? He's teaching the doctrine, teaching the teachings of Christ. Sin is sin, but they don't know it's sin until the Word of God shows it in their heart. I do think that one, uh, which he gets to a little bit about myths, and stuff, is the myth that we're all good people and we just need the grace, right? Well, what do you need grace from? You know, I, again, I love, uh, I listen to a little bit of uh, Sproul a little bit. I know he's passed, but his some of his things, and he walks around and somebody says, comes up to him in, a, in the street and says, hey, are you saved? And his first response is, saved from what? Right? So you got to know what you need to be saved from, and that's the wrath of God. right? That's your, saved from your sins um, that turns the wrath of God on you. We need to be saved from those things. So that's it. So that, that's the reprove and rebuke. And then he says, but you got to do it with great patience and instruction. Right? So the instruction is the word of God. The patience may be the hardest thing, and I think he clarifies this, even emphasizes it more with the word great and before of it. When we think of the patience of God, I think we understand how we should be patient, right? God is long-suffering. It's been thousands of years, and he could have just wiped us out. Start it over if you wanted to. He could have, I mean, he can't because it goes against his character and his word. But, I mean, he could do whatever he wanted to, but he's patiently waiting for all those that he has called to come to a realization of their, of their calling, right? So he takes great patience. 
I think we all can see in others the hardships, the things, the sins in their lives. But I think it's harder when we don't look at ourselves, right? We tend to see the sins and the lack of teachability to others. But we need to look inward for those things. So what I'm saying here is like when we, we look at great patience, and I think what he's saying here, when you look at great patience and rebuke, again, as, as Matthew 7, 3 through 5, the story about take the log out of your eye, and I'll, I'll read it. It says, why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So what I'm, what I'm getting at here is, is with great patience and instruction, we need to teach others. But we can't do that clearly until we acknowledge in ourselves what we need, right? I think anybody in here, I think Greg, Brian, Phil, anybody that teaches, anybody that's done anything will tell you that you're continually growing in yourself, right? The Christian walk is not, I'm done at this certain point. It's a continual growth. And it takes patience. And it takes clear instruction uh, from the word of God, right? So I think, not that we don't confront people in their sin, but we do need to first make sure that we are in ourselves teachable and recognize the sin in our lives and turn it from those so that when we come to people, we can definitely associate better. We can uh, tell them what's, how we got through those things, what scripture we use, how God moved, worked through that to get us to the point of uh, teachability. So that's the great patience and instruction that we need to have. Again, Jesus here is, never, is not saying never call out your brothers or sisters a sin, but make sure that you're right before God first, right? So even pastors, he's telling pastors here, you need to be teachable and you need to recognize these things. And it all comes from the great construction of the Lord. So he moves on to chapter, into verse 3. As we're talking about great patience and instruction. And again, patience comes here because, verse 3, for a time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they'll accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. So my first little label is the correct way to preach, commission, all that. The second half right here, starting in verse 3, uh, I kind of see it as the opposition to correct preaching. And what we see here is that People are not patient. People do not endure like they should. People want what they want. Kind of like Jessica was talking about, right? I don't want to have to go to church anymore. And I can sit and I can listen to any pastor that I want to, to a podcast or even live streaming services. I can find something there that I can put up with. But that's not the right way to preach, right? And that's not what we should be looking for as a congregation. So it says, for a time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. All right, so we've looked at this word, he's, you know, he, Paul uses this a lot, you know, hold on to the sound teachings, the treasure. He's the soundness of the scriptures. It is the only thing, again, it is secure. It is wrapped up in everything that it needs to be, and it is sound. But he says that they will not endure sound doctrine. So I want to look at who is, who is the they? Who do you think the they is? When you read this, is it non-believers? Is it believers? Is it other pastors? So as I read through this, I think that they, of course, is just like we talked about in this chapter two when he talks about the 
useful vessels and dishonorable vessels and honorable vessels. We have a mixture of people in the church. You're going to have believers, you're going to have unbelievers, right? You're going to have nominal Christians, you're going to have sound Christians. You're going to have immature Christians, you're going to have mature Christians, right? And so the they is everybody in the church, but the they that will not endure sound doctrine are going to be either non-believers or immature believers, right? That's why we need to continue to be on a lookout for, the, for those and to encourage them and to increase them up. But when it says they will not endure, so what does it mean to endure something, right? I always go back to my fingernail thing. Like if I'm ever caught in POW war, I don't know if I can endure having my fingernails messed with and be able to give up information, right? Now, to be able to take that would be to, able to endure something, right? But when he's talking about here, he's talking about to endure sound doctrine. So what, is, what do you think it means not to endure sound doctrine? I, agree, I totally agree with that, yes. And what if you are a non-believer? You don't want to understand doctrine because it just goes against your self, right? It's telling you everything you don't want to hear. Because what's the world trying to tell you? Right? The world's trying to tell you that you don't need this. So you can be yourself. You are your kind of your own God, right? But we know that we know that it's it's sure, and they they need to endure, right? And we don't do it on our own. God helps us through this, right? I, I think of the, the the example in the Old Testament with Elijah when he goes against the prophets of Baal, right? You know, God says that I've set aside so many people to keep them to myself. But you had one prophet, Elijah, going against 450 of the prophets of Baal. But yet, he was enduring. They didn't want to endure anymore. They wanted to go after their own desires and not go after and follow God. And Elijah called them out on that. I, lo- I love that example. Um, but yeah, so people have so many things to turn into. You, you said podcast stuff. I was thinking of the, the TBN, you know, the network. It's like people really want to have their ears tickled for some reason with that stuff. But they'll just turn away and not endure anymore. And that's what he goes on to say here is endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled. They'll accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. And so what I want to look at there real quick is, because it's the last verse, the word accumulate. And I think that's very interesting. It's not that somebody goes off to find one person that they want to hear, that, that they like, that tells them what to do. They accumulate multiple teachers, right, to find what they want to hear. And the sad thing about that is, that there's multiple teachers out there that will tell them what they want to hear, right? And that's why I bring up kind of the TBN situation. Like, um, again, Cindy hates it when I flip through and I see that, that channel because it makes me mad. Um, but it's just, it, it just blows my mind when you see these huge audiences listening to this stuff. But it's just what he says right here. They, want, they, they don't want to endure sound doctrine. They want to have their ears tickled. They want to be told what they want to be told. You know, and Paul was very clear on this. That I think one thing that sometimes we do too, and even I think sometimes even as strong believers, right? I think sometimes we go off and we listen to other 
uh, pastors, which there's nothing wrong with that sometimes, but we don't need to necessarily hold our teachers accountable or to comparable to some of those guys. Like you listen to like a MacArthur or a um, Piper, whoever, when you're big guys, those guys um, are, I've been doing it for a long, long time. They have their, when you hear them, I was told this when I did the Excel ministry thing and I thought it was great. Um, the, <clears throat> was it, no, it wasn't Rocky, Brian was trying to encourage the pastors there and saying, you know, you can't, you're not going to be like them. Like one time, as soon as you hear one of their messages, especially at a, like a conference, when you go to a conference, you hear those messages, they've been working on that message for probably months, if not years. And they've, they have just timed it down. They've narrowed it down. They've said it so many times. They know it by heart and they just have perfected the way that they bring that to the thing. And it's, it's, that's why the conferences are so good. You can't do that every week, right? Sometimes scripture, when you're teaching through there, doesn't have those um, actually, you're, you're, you're teaching what the word says. And so I think sometimes we need to, it's not wrong to listen to that kind of thing, but we don't need to necessarily always compare our teachers to that, right? And that's why we need, if you're getting sound teaching, that's the most important thing, right? I think sometimes too, when, um, I know for me, when I first came to this church, it was, it was awesome, right? One of the first churches I've ever been to that was teaching um, expository preaching. And I was just sucking it in, and I was just taking it all in all the time. And I, I, mean, I, was, I was loving it. And a couple of years go on, and, and it's just kind of like you start, your mind starts to get kind of numb to it because you kind of hear the, the things. But then if you go away and you come back, you endure through that because there are some hard things that you have to listen to and you have to go through, especially when you come to correct teaching, right? And I think sometimes our minds have to be set anew to be able to take those things in. So my encouragement to you guys in that is, is to always be appreciative of hearing sound doctrine and to even though there was times you may not want to be listening at that time maybe it's hard maybe it's um it, it seems kind of dry possibly but know that you're getting the word of God and that's the most important thing and to be patient with that as even Paul as we, we love Paul right but Paul says in, for himself in first Corinthians 2 he says and when I came to you brethren I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and the power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. I think it's so important to understand is that we don't need to rely on our ears being tickled. We need to rely that they are teaching the word of God and holding strictly to the word of God. So the wrong way to preach is try to tickle people's ear. The right way to preach is to preach the sound word. He says here in verse 4, because what happens is they will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to miss. So in summing up here, I'm almost out of time, just what are some examples of this in today's church? What are some myths that you say? I think Jessica hit a couple of them. But what, if I don't want to hear sound doctrine, what am I turning to? What are some of the myths that the church, that tickle your ear, will, will put out there? So you can hear God speak in an audible voice. He'll tell you, right? If you just meditate long enough, you'll hear his voice. Yeah. What else? You are enough. Found that. That's the first one I have. Like you, you can do it on your own. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, just. All right, yeah, scientific theories, yeah. Yeah. UFOs, yeah. And they're trying to make, take, take scripture and try to mix, mix it with science, right? And then so it's like, I, I, I got to make it fit here because they found this instead of taking the word of God at, the, at its core and what it means and what it says. Yeah, Greg? Yeah, it's perfect. I mean, and again, Satan doesn't do anything new, right? I mean, he's been doing this from the beginning of the time, right? Just twist God's little word. Did, did, did he really say that? You know, I like, I mean, I, I have all those down here too. Um, one I, I think came out of the grace, you know, the grace move, grace-based movement, right? All you need is God's grace, not mercy, right? I think that that's another big the myth now that we're all good, really, and we just... God's grace will just cover us, right? That you don't need to be pointed out that you are actually a sinner, a depraved. Maybe we can't talk about that. Or, uh, you know, Christ is just one way to heaven, right? There's multiple ways. I mean, there's actually churches out there that call themselves Christ Church, and they, they preach these things. So, yeah, so I think that's, a, that Greg's right. I mean, you're accumulating different teachers so you can hear what you want to hear, right? And that's, that's what the downfall is. So as, we, as I close, i just give you a couple applications here. Uh, first of all, if you desire to be a preacher or teacher of God's word, you need to understand the undertaking that it truly is. It's not an easy task, um, and it's not a lighthearted task. You need to truly understand what you're doing. Um, and if you're in the congregation, you not only need to hold uh, teachers accountable, but like we all said before, encourage them. Thank them for what they do. Um, talk, discuss scripture with them but also ask them how they're doing personally how are their family lives how are they doing spiritually how are they doing emotionally you know they they they're, they're like like matt said they're human too right so they need that uplifting and other things don't just follow someone because or don't listen to somebody just because they're a great speaker make sure the content that they're preaching is sound doctrine like i said there's a lot of stuff out there now and sometimes you can start listening, and it can sound pretty good and dynamic, but then there's no substance to it. There's not true scripture behind what they're saying. So make sure that the people that you're following outside of here um, are, are good, solid teachers. Um, and I know I'm not the best at it because I kind of like to stay where I know <laughs> Greg and MacArthur. I don't really go outside of that. But I do know that Greg's good. I know Brian, I think, I don't know if Phil does, but a lot of guys listen to other stuff, and they, or they know other people. Um, and they know whether or not they're bad or good, which is a good thing too. So, because I've had I've had some stuff come up about that a couple times. I'm just saying, hey, have you ever heard of this guy? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't, don't follow them, like, because they can say some stuff that's a little bit of truth, but if you actually get into it, they're not teaching the correct truth and writing truth. Um, so, so I encourage you in that. And then, um, lastly, just just thank you for allowing me to to teach this and to to be up here and just. Um, 
And I, I pray for those same things that you hold us accountable and that you um, help us to know that we are trying to teach true doctrine and trying to hold true to God's word um, and trying to, to do these things. So, so thank you. In closing, we'll pray and then uh, get to kids. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for just the blessing of your word. Lord, I pray that, um, that we would truly be a body that, of believers who hold your word in the highest esteem. Lord, there is nothing that comes before it and there's nothing that comes after it. It is the, all that we need. And Lord, I pray that we are consistently in it, that we are meditating on it night and day, that we are trying to live by these things. Lord, I pray that we surround ourselves with individuals that will challenge us, that will help us to, um, to grow in our faith. And Lord, I pray that we look inside ourselves too to make sure that we are, um, that there is the sin in our life has been put away, that, um, that we are allowing ourselves to be teachable. Um, Lord, I pray that especially when it comes to the hard sayings and the hard truths in scripture that um, a lot of people argue about, Lord, I pray that, um, that we would be teachable in that, and that we would come together and discuss it through your, by using your word and come into an understanding of what it truly means and that we would have a teachable spirit. Lord, thank you for, again, for this day to be able to gather as brothers and sisters in Christ. And Lord, I do pray that if anyone in here does not know you, that is not repented of their sins, and comes to the understanding of what you did for us by sending your son to die on the cross for our sins. Lord, I pray that you would uh, convict them and that they would repent. Lord, I pray that, uh, that we would see it in them and we would be able to reprove and rebuke but not for negative reasons, but only for the positive reasons that they would come to an understanding of Christ and, and accept him as the Lord that he is. Lord, we love you and we praise you for all that you do. Pray that you continue to bless this time and bless the, uh, the service and the music that will be presented before you. And I pray, Lord, most importantly, that you are glorified by it. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.